0: Welcome to Life on Fire with Brody and Deidre Haight.
1: Living a life fully
0: alive. Hello everyone. Thanks for tuning in uh, to listen to Life on Fire podcast today. I have a special guest with me today. Deidre is not with us, but I have a great friend of mine, Tony Vale, and I'm super excited uh, to have Tony on the show. Tony actually is a retired veteran He served in the military for 20 and a half years, and now he works full-time with E3 Ministry and I Am Second, sharing the love of Christ all over the world. It's good to have you, Tony.
1: Yeah, thanks so much, Brody. It's really good to be here.
0: I actually met Tony about six and a half years ago, I think we were talking. Yeah, that sounds about right. Yeah, we met in Nicaragua doing mission. (laughs) Yeah, Brody was my roommate. And God put Tony in my path. And guys, I thought it was so cool. Because Tony uh, shared a story with me about his job in the military. And I said, well, like, what do you do after this trip, Tony, like when you go home? And he's like, oh, I'm going home to jump out of planes. I'm like, what? You're jumping out of planes? (laughs) So that really just, I thought that was so cool. I got to hear some of his stories in the military and his past. It really inspired me. Tony taught me simple tools to share my faith. One of those tools being three circles and how to share my testimony in 15 seconds. It really impacted me and changed my life. And since then, both of us have seen so many people come to Christ. Amen. So Tony, why don't you share a bit with us about your journey? What happened to you as a as a young man?
1: Yeah, sure, of course. Um, so I guess uh, the start of my story is um, when I was born, uh, my dad was married and had three kids, uh, but not with my mom. And so uh, mom was kind of like a bit of a a thing on the side, I guess you could say. And, uh, so that's kind of like my start in life. And then when I was uh, a little bit older, I think like around two, um, or maybe a bit before my dad, uh, left that family and came and lived with us full time. And then when I was four, um, I had a near drowning experience at our, at our family cabin. And, uh, my, um, cousin Jonathan who has a mental disability and hadn't really spoken in full sentences, was able to run up a a big flight of stairs and then speak in a full sentence and say to my mom, Anthony's in the water. And then my mom was able to come down and uh, see my incredible Hulk underwear uh, underneath the surface of the water, jump in, pull me out, uh, do artificial respiration, which she had learned on a television show a week before uh, called Punky Brewster, which was really popular at that time. Uh, she was able to get me into our foot, 14 foot aluminum, uh, start driving me to safety, realized that she left my three month brother behind, had to make the extremely difficult decision to turn back and go and get him. And then when we uh, started off again, we actually ran into another boater who had a much faster speedboat. And so by transferring to the, his boat, we were actually to arrive, we arrived on the sheriff sure, faster than if we had stayed in my 14-foot aluminum. So we we made up the time uh, with my mom making the decision to turn around and go back and get my brother. And then that individual actually had a cell phone, which is crazy, in the early 80s. You know, it was like one of those brick, like Motorola phones. And so they were able to call the ambulance and then, you know, get us to the other side. Uh, there happened to be a special team that was working in the hospital uh, that was visiting from Halifax, from the IWK. That And there was like some new equipment that just got delivered that they needed uh, in order to work on me. Uh, they drilled uh, two holes in my uh, forehead to allow for uh, the swelling to take place in my frontal lobe. And uh, I spent, I can't remember the exact amount of time, but it was like five or seven days in a induced coma until the swelling came down in my brain. And then when I woke up, I had to go through occupational therapy and learn to walk and talk again, and uh, my aunt, who's the only person in my family who knew Jesus at the time, uh, she told me when I woke up after I was coherent, she said, "God must have big plans for you because there's no reason that you should still be with us." And so that always just like rattled around in the back of my head, you know. Uh, when I was eight, um, my dad, you know, had continued to run around, and he was an alcoholic, and so my mom finally got fed up and, and she left and we moved in with my grandparents uh, in a small town called Brown's Flat, New Brunswick. Uh, we were there for a couple of years, uh, maybe three years. And then my mom remarried when I was 12 uh, to this guy, Robin, and uh, he turned out to be a bit of an alcoholic and a drug addict, uh, struggled with like heroin and cocaine and this type of thing. Um, and he was relatively violent. So, uh, when I was 17, I think, uh, yeah, about 17, sorry, timelines are hard for me. Um, he was uh, getting out of the truck and he was in a rush and I had parked my bike, uh, in front of the door and he tripped over the bike on his way in and uh, slammed his finger into the door jam and broke his pinky finger. And so I was sitting at the uh, kitchen table doing homework and he came in. Um, and just was like swearing and yelling and screaming. Um, and he basically said like, you know, if you had to put your bike away, then I wouldn't have broke my finger. And I was like, yeah, if you had to watch where you were going, you wouldn't have tripped over my bike. And, uh, that was maybe not the most appropriate thing to say at the time. But so he picked me up and threw me over the kitchen table and into the wall and, uh, pinned me with his elbow and he was going to like beat the living snot out of me. Um, and my mom was doing dishes and she had a cast iron frying pan in her hand. And she was like, if you lay a hand on him, I'm going to hurt you. And, uh, so that was enough to like calm him down. But after that was done, I called my dad and I moved, uh, like my biological father moved into the city. Um, and, uh, you know, to make a long story short, I, you know, dad and I didn't fare much better and he wanted me to start paying rent. Uh, so I, I decided that I would hit the streets, so that I lived as a vagabond for uh, somewhere in the vicinity of 11 months. Still managed to graduate from high school. Um, I ended up paying a buddy of mine um, $90 to let me live at his house for a month so that I could have an address so that when I joined the Army, I could actually have a home address to write on the application form. Um, So that was rather interesting. Um, I guess one part I missed in there, uh, when I was maybe 13, uh, I met this boy on a bus, uh, Neil was his name, and he introduced me to Jesus and I started going to church and spending a lot of time uh, hanging out with him and his family and just recognizing that there was like such a difference between the way that our family lived and the way that his family lived. And uh, so that was kind of like the initial stages of me, like learning about who Jesus is and and that sort of thing. So then I to joined the army. Um, I'm like, I don't know, 19 or 20 years old. And uh, I decide, uh, you know, I'm going to, I'm going to put everything in. I'm going to do a good job at this, uh, be a good soldier. And so I'm, you know, drinking till the wee hours of the morning. I've managed to get off the drugs so that I don't get tested and thrown out. And um, I'm kind of like, you know, shooting after this prize of like being somebody, you know, making something of myself. And uh, I get this email um, from a girl that I met at a summer camp. And she's telling me like I was packing up my stuff and I dropped my high school agenda and it opened to the page with your email address on it. Just wondering what you're doing these days. And that just seemed like too much of a coincidence to have happened by accident, you know? And so I started emailing with her and uh, anyway, it turned out that Olivia and I, you know, decided that we would try dating. And then um, uh, Jesus appeared to me in a dream and he basically said, Uh, you know, if you don't get your life sorted out, you're not going to be happy with the way it ends. And so I was like, called a cab and was like, Hey, take me to the nearest Baptist church. Cause that's all I knew. And, uh, we went to this place in Pembroke, Ontario called first Baptist and, uh, you know, no offense to First Baptist, but the youngest person in the crowd was like 65 years old and they were singing old hymns. And I left that service thinking like, God, is this some kind of joke? Like, and I was like, I was like, man, I thought I was going to get my life sorted out. I thought I was going to meet a nice girl. I thought I was going to make some friends. And I'm like kicking this rock down the road and I'm like actually cussing at God. And I make it about two blocks on Moffat Street in Pembroke. And uh, I come to another church on the corner. So First Baptist met from... Um, nine till ten, and then I came to this church called Wesley Community Church, and they met from ten fifteen to eleven fifteen. So I walked up the steps, and the pastor, Pastor Herb Van Essen, uh, met me at the door, and he gave me like a big handshake and a half a hug, and he was like, "We're so glad that you decided to join us here today." And uh, I had not had much in the way of positive male affection in my life, and that moment, like I was just like, "Wow, this is so different." And, um, so I learned in that church a lot about grace and love and forgiveness. And uh, I worked through a lot of bitterness and anger that I had in my heart. Uh, Olivia and I, um, dated long distance for about nine months. And then, uh, I asked her if she would move to Ontario so that we could get to know each other a little better. She moved up on February the 1st. Uh, we got engaged on, uh, March the 22nd. Yeah, we got engaged just after my birthday on the 22nd, and then we got married on the 26th. Uh, So we were like less than a year uh, together before we got married and only four days engaged. Um, And Pastor Herb married us like on a Wednesday after Bible study. So that was pretty sweet. Um, I did a few tours overseas. I was in uh, Bosnia and Croatia, and then I did a tour in Afghanistan. Um, And then uh, Olivia and I uh, decided that maybe uh, the army was not the best way like not the best place to be, to be a dad and raise kids. Uh, so then I applied for search and rescue. I joined, uh, I ended up being successful in my application process and my the kind of like trial period. Um, so then I became a search and rescue technician in the Air Force. And so I was busier on an everyday, like day-to-day basis but I was home more often because I never went away for more than like seven to 10 days as opposed to the army where I was going away like six to nine months. Um, and then we had our first child. Uh, so in right after I got back from Afghanistan, uh, once the malaria pills had been cleaned out of my system, uh, then we uh, got pregnant with our first child, Micah, and he was three months old when I went to, um, to, to my SAR-Tech tryout. um, And then from there, uh, I spent 12 years, three postings, uh, Comox, uh, Winnipeg and then Greenwood, Nova Scotia, uh, jumping out of planes and hanging out helicopters, rescuing people from like sinking boats or overturned vessels or plane crashes, lost hikers, you know, this type of thing, uh, which was exciting and fun and kind of like, you know, kept me interested. And, uh, then just recently uh, in June of last year, Uh, God called me to step away from the military and uh, start pursuing uh, employment uh, full time in ministry. So now I'm uh, working as the strategy coordinator for E3 Canada, uh, which I volunteered with the organization uh, for the last uh, eight years. Um, But now I'm in the process of uh, what we call ministry partner development, uh, which is like uh, raising funds in order to be full time uh, with the organization. So anyway, that's kind of a quick and dirty testimony, but hopefully it sort of asks or answers some of your questions.
0: Yeah, I think that's uh, like incredible. Just hearing like how Jesus saved you so many times from like a near death experience when you were a young man, like hearing like those key moments of like Jesus coming in your life. You had a dream, your grandma saying like, you're meant for something big. What are some uh, key moments like in the army or in your life, like coming into the army where you saw God work?
1: Mm, yeah, those are, those. that's a really good question. So um, I guess if I think like key moments in my life as I was entering into the army. Uh, so I guess the first one would be like, I wasn't, I wasn't into like serious hard drugs, um, you know, but a lot of like entry level stuff And so I was doing a lot of reading and research about like how long I needed to be clean before I signed up so that I wouldn't, you know, like get caught on any tests. Now, what I learned after was that the army doesn't actually test for drugs when you're joining, but at the time I thought for sure they were going to test me. Um, so I bought like a bottle of Tommy Chong's detoxifying mix and like drank it right before I went to my interview. And, uh, anyway, um, I guess the way that God moved was, you know, like I, I was in the room with this guy getting the interview and he's like, well, you know, have you ever tried this drug? And I'm like, yes. And he's like, well, when the last time that you did that? And I was like, somewhere between 18 and 20 days ago. And he's like, okay, what about this drug? And I was like, uh, yes. And he's like, when's the last time? And I was like, uh, like 21 days, because I'd, I'd basically thought that three weeks was going to be like the longest amount of time that I had to be clean. So you know, in true, like ridiculous youth fashion, you know, I continued to use right up until the three week mark. And then I tried to stop like cold Turkey, you know? Um, Anyway, so the fact that the military didn't test and that the guy who was doing my interview was like totally okay with my honest answers. That was like just a affirmation from the Lord, you know, that, that this was like the right route that I was supposed to take. Um, Another one would be, Uh, When I was in Afghanistan, um, Olivia and I prayed that we would have unusual peace uh, while I was away. And, uh, you know, it didn't matter like which patrol I was on or, you know, whether we were mounted or dismounted or whether I was on some kind of security detail, like throughout the whole tour, both Olivia and I had just this amazing security that couldn't be explained, you know, where it was like, you know, if God decides to take me, like, that's okay. and if he doesn't, then that's okay, too. You know, it was just like we were really um, both uh, surrendered to, like, what the Lord had for us in that season. And so that was that was quite a big deal and, and pretty special to us. Um, then when I tried out for search and rescue, um, I remember, like, Ecclesiastes 9.11. It says, uh, this might be a terrible quote, but it basically says something to the effect of, like, the race is not to the swift, nor is the fight to the strong, but time and chance happened to them all. And that was like my life first. I was like, I'm not the strongest. I'm not the fastest, but I've got a lot of heart and I really want to do this job. I feel like God is calling me to it. And uh, I think it's going to be better for my family and and this sort of thing. And uh, I ended up carving that into my, uh, hut that I stayed in while I was going through selection process. And, uh, you know, I ended up completing selection and getting found suitable and then getting picked up for SAR, which is, you know, potentially like maybe the second most elite thing that you can do uh, in the Canadian forces. So it it was, again, just like another one of those like ways that God was saying, like, yes, you're on the right path. You're doing what I've asked you to do. Um,
0: So you basically are a paratrooper jumping out of planes, rescuing people.
1: Yes, yeah. yeah, that's right. Yeah, as a search and rescue technician, uh I worked on both fixed-wing aircraft and on helicopters and I was either parachuting or throwing equipment out of the plane or I was uh hanging out of the helicopter like via hoist and like picking people off of boats or providing medical care for plane crash victims.
0: I just think that's the coolest part because Jesus he rescues us like out of that that place of of just disparity like i know it's different for all of us where he rescues us but it's usually not a good place when he comes right and his hand is out and it's it's similar what you're doing in the natural
1: yeah amen yeah no and it was there's a lot of correlation both between the army and the and the search and rescue i did in the air force and the gospel and i often have opportunity god provides opportunity for me to share like some kind of like military story that like ties into and and gives like more lift to you know, almost like parables. Yeah. Um. And then because it's my story, I can often tie it to other people's stories as well because it's not like some abstract thing that I'm talking about, but it's like it's like it happened to me. You yeah. know. Um. Another couple. I don't know uh, if how much time we have, but another couple of really cool stories. So one uh, when I was in my Sartec training, I ended up getting hung up behind the skyvan. So we were like doing a water jump, wow. and I I parachuted out of the skyvan. And my one man life raft, which was attached underneath my parachute, it, it let loose and it came up and it entwined in my, uh, main canopy D bag. And so I was actually like, had this, my parachute was like tied in a knot with my life raft and I was attached still to the aircraft.
0: And was this in Canada?
1: Yeah. In, uh, over Comox Lake uh, on Vancouver Island in BC. And, uh, so the guys had to decide, you know, are we going to try and pull Tony back into the plane? And potentially have his chute open and maybe take the whole airplane down? Or are we going to cut him away from the aircraft and hope that he has enough time to sort himself out before he hits the water? And uh, in the end, it made the most sense to cut me away because there was, you know, two pilots and two safety personnel and one other paratrooper that was still on the aircraft. So, you know, one for uh, five, you know. And um, so that's what they did. They cut me away. I tumbled for about a thousand feet before I got stable. Then I was able to pull my reserve and cut away my main, but because there was no resistance on my main, it didn't actually cut away. And so my reserve canopy deployed through my main canopy lines. And so when my reserve chute opened, it only opened 50% and it had, my main canopy was all wrapped around it, all the lines. And so it couldn't open any further. And so just as I was starting to think like, what the heck is going on? I seen my main canopy D-bag was like oscillating around my lines. So I was able to reach forward, grab it and start throwing it in the opposite direction so that my canopy could begin to develop. And so at about 800 feet, I'd got my canopy to about three quarters and I was over top of the trees and I was like, Oh man, I don't want to land in the trees. I want to land in the water. So I pulled what's called a slip. I reached up on my right hand risers, pulled them down and it just tilted the canopy on like maybe a 30 degree angle. And so it throws the air out the left side and you slide, you kind of pick up speed, but you move to the right as well. And uh, so I hit the water, the investigative report said at about 35 miles per hour, I skipped three times before I broke the surface tension. And then I tore a bunch of fascia in my left shoulder, my low back. And uh, I got on the plane the next day and jumped back out again, you know? And uh, I just, just, again, just one of those situations where you're like, man, God is really looking out for me, you know, like, um, and I could tell stories all day uh, as you're aware, Brody. Like as
0: you're sharing, I'm actually sitting in front of a bunch of metals right over here. Uh, when I was setting up the podcast, like there's a lot of them.
1: <laughs> like, yeah. I've got, a, I've got a number of awards. That's true. Yeah. Um, I got the, uh, chief of defense staff accommodation for rescue. I did. I also have a number of, um, like one cat commander accommodations. Uh, so the Canadian, um, director of the air force. And, uh, I got a, I got the Queens diamond Jubilee mm. for a few rescues that I was on.
0: And what's this uh, flag in your office that I'm looking at?
1: Uh, That's the Canadian flag that the guys gave me when I retired. Uh, So when on my last day, we did a free fall jump together and they actually flew the flag while we did the jump. And then everybody uh, got a picture with it and they signed it before we left.
0: Yeah. I won't read some of the comments on there, but
1: (laughs) yeah, guys in the military, the army army guys.
0: (laughs) Wow. That's so awesome. Like so many cool things that God has done in your life and uh, you really do give him glory, Tony. Um, Some of the things that I was thinking, like God has done so much in my life, like he's healed so much of my heart, my mind and restored so much. What are some like key things that God has like just restored in your, in, in, in your life, like in your heart?
1: Oh yeah, I mean, that's the same as rescue stories. Like I could mm. talk all day about it,
0: <laughs> but, uh, let's see some
1: key ones. So I guess one is, um, and the Lord is still working on this in me, but, but it's definitely come a long way is, um, you know, when I was younger, uh, I would say probably since the time I was like maybe 14 or 15, I had like some massive anger issues And, um, you know, I heard a quote one time it said like hopelessness or helplessness breeds rage. Mm -hmm. And that was very true for me. Like I wouldn't have admitted that I was hopeless or helpless, but that's really what was going on inside me. You know, like I didn't feel like I was in control. I felt like things weren't going the way that I would want them to go. And I often had like these massive outbursts of anger where I would like throw things across the room or punch holes in the walls Mm or you know, kick the dog or, you know, these types of things. Um, and, and after I got saved, you know, I prayed that the Lord would take it away. Um, but what I learned as I went through life was that, um, God's not going to like make it easy for you, you know, like he's going to definitely give us the opportunity to learn and do better, but it's not like without its own, um, like you have to play your part, I guess, is what I'm trying to say. And so as I learned to be more and more surrendered to him, then I didn't need to be in control. And once I was okay with not being in control, then I wasn't as angry. And so, you know, it's just, it's really, it's honestly a miracle, uh, the way that I can interact with my children now and with my wife, as opposed to like the way I would have, you know, a decade ago. So the Lord, and really it was outreach and evangelism that really Mm. sprung that in me because that's where I learned that it was impossible for me to have all the answers. Mm. You know, it was like, it just this idea of like being like totally real and raw and out and exposed and like, and just, and just like letting it all hang out, you know? And then having, having zero control and Mm. not being able to do anything about it and just like totally relying on the Lord to like, Direct the conversation and take things and keep you safe. Even, you know, I've, you know, maybe we'll get to it later, but some crazy stories about like doing evangelism in like the most scary bars in like Winnipeg and stuff. Um, and yeah. So anyway, I guess the Lord just really healed me of my anger. Um, also, um, I spent a lot of time trying to prove myself. Um, you know, as a young man, I was often like on the fringe of you know, the class or whatever, you know, I didn't have a lot of friends. I didn't get along really well. Um, I didn't have many guy friends at all. I mostly hung out with girls and, uh, you know, that created its own problems. I grew up with a single mom, so I didn't really know like how to interact with males very well. And, um, you know, then I joined the army and then it was like the other extreme. Like I, I became like almost like, um, like a macho, like, you know, pride filled, like arrogant, kind of pompous fool. And uh, so it was really interesting how God used it to like take me like from one extreme. And then I like went through this other extreme and now I feel like the Lord has really leveled me out to the point where like, you know, I really perform for an audience of one, you know, like my whole um, performance anxiety and, and desire to be like recognized and this sort of thing, like uh, that's not there anymore. You know, like I just, I actually just want God to be glorified. And if nobody knows my name, that's totally cool. In fact, doing things like this podcast actually make me feel a little bit odd because I'm like, oh man, like whoever's listening is going to hear my name. And I'm just like, sometimes pray, like maybe they'll forget it. Like, I hope they remember the story, but I don't want them to think about me, right? I want them to think about God and what yeah. he did. So,
0: Amen. Praise God. Hello. If you are feeling encouraged or inspired, we want to invite you to become a monthly partner with us. The information is going to be in the description below. We just want to continue to love God and love people in whatever way we can. Enjoy listening. After all of this, you just have like a burning fire inside of you to share Jesus. Like that's, I've shared Jesus with you all over. I've seen you baptize people in Nicaragua in garbage buckets (laughs) and troughs. troughs. That's all they had, guys. (laughs) So whatever they have <laughs> we just got to share Jesus uh, in your town. We've done that more than once and that, that's so fun. So what is your desire like with God? Like I know you love him. You love doing outreach, you love planting churches, you love seeing people get saved. Yeah, what is what's next?
1: Oh man. Well, so I mean, yeah, I mean, you said it really well. Like God has has just prepared me my whole life, I think to be ready for this moment, you know, Uh where like, honestly, like with jumping out of airplanes and going to war and, you know, not like, not that my childhood was terrible, you know, but, but having a bit of a rough start in life, you know, it makes it so that I'm not actually scared to go and talk to people, you know, to be honest, like hundred percent, like transparency here, the, the most, the most difficult people for me to talk to about Jesus are people who are like well off, you know, upper middle class or like the rich, like those are the, those are the hardest people for me because like I, you know, three quarters of my body is covered in tattoos. I've had loads of body, like 70 body piercings. You know, I've lived on the streets, you know, I've been to Afghanistan, like I've slept in body armor. I've, you know, jumped out of an airplane and then like built a lean to and slept in it for two days, you know, so like I don't know man. And like, God just, he just set me up so that I can go into like these like dark places and just be completely unafraid mm. and just talk about the difference that he's made in my life and just how much difference he can make in theirs. You know, like, uh, I just, I feel so, um, like, it's like almost thrust. Like, I feel like yeah. God has thrust me out, <laughs> yeah. you know, he's like, you know, perhaps you are here for such a time as this. And so, and I've, you've seen me in trainings, but like, I there's nothing I love more yeah. than seeing a current Christian get lit up <laughs> for sharing Jesus with other people. Because man, if we're not on mission for Jesus, like, what the heck are we doing? You know what That's I mean? Like, true. it's his vision, his mission, yeah. his kingdom. And like, he, he rescued us out of darkness so that we might proclaim his marvelous light. Amen. So-
0: we better get proclaiming. <laughs> and you and you do, like you do share, like you've inspired me greatly since I've met you with the way that you live your life, the way that you father everything. <laughs> you're just an awesome guy. And as you're sharing, going out in the darkness uh, into some of these wild, crazy places, what is one story that comes to mind of an awesome gospel share or somebody giving their life to Jesus? Or what is one story that comes to mind of like, you've been all over the world now sharing the gospel. Um, yeah, I mean,
1: limiting to one, that's- Yeah, I
0: know, that's, that's hard. That's pretty tough. But <laughs> um,
1: I think I'd like to brag on my kids a little bit, I think. So uh, one time uh, we had this team from Alabama that came up to visit us in Winnipeg and we were doing some outreach in the North end of the city. And uh, we had determined through prayer that we wanted to go to this bar that was on Main Street that was considered like one of the kind of darker parts of the city. And as we were standing outside as a team in the parking lot and we were praying, uh, God gave me a vision of like Paul getting stoned and then getting dragged outside the city and then getting back up and going in the city again. And I was just like, Oh my goodness, do you want me to share this with the team? Like, this is pretty intense Lord. And um, he kind of indicated to me that he wanted me to share it. So, you know, I did, I took the opportunity to just share with the team. Like, you know, and these guys are not evangelists. They're not like missionaries. They're just like normal everyday people who signed up for a short-term trip with their church. And I'm just telling them like, Hey guys, this is like one of the darker parts of the city. You know, this is the Myrtle ca- uh, murder capital of Canada and it's the middle of the afternoon. So it's probably not going to be super bad, but I just want you to let you know that like, we need to go in there with the attitude that like everything for Lord Jesus. Right. And you know, I thought they were going to tell me I was crazy and walk away, but they were super pumped. They were like, "Yes, let's do this." And so I I told them like, "You don't have to come in. Like, I know like this is a strange way to start off. You know, it's not really a pep talk." And they were all like, "No, no, we want to go." So anyway, we went in, and we talked to a number of people. There was like maybe 10 people in the bar, like kind of regulars, and um this one girl we met, her name was Karen, and she was a prostitute, and she was really agitated. You know what? She was probably high. Uh, probably drunk at the same time, and just like, you know, was trying to get a john, but you know, was having no luck of it, and like, like I don't know, like if she owed some money, I, I really don't know. But she she was getting more and more agitated, and then she ended up getting kicked out of the bar. And my wife was parked outside the bar in the van with my six kids, and she saw her come out, and she was like, "Oh goodness, like I really feel like the Lord is leading me to go talk to that person, but I can't really leave my kids in the van by themselves." So I don't know how we're gonna do this. So anyway, she ended up texting me. And so we kind of finished up talking to the people we were. And then we came back out and I saw Olivia like waving at me from the window of the van. So I went over and she's like, I tried to talk to this woman. She was like not interested at all. You know, I was like, Oh, I tried to talk to her in the bar, she wasn't interested in talking to me either. Then this guy, William from the team, came over and And he's like, well, maybe we could go try again. So we went across the street. She was like, not interested in talking to William and I, you know, being two like middle aged men, you know, uh, kind of getting in the way of her business, you know? And, uh, so I went back to the van and I said, maybe if one of the little girls comes with me, you know? And so Acacia, I think, and you know, my daughters will correct me later when they're listening to this. I'm pretty sure it was Acacia. She came out with me and we went across and You know, all, it just changed. Everything changed. She like softened. She was like really like leaning over, listening. She told us that her name was Karen and Acacia said, you know, like we really want to pray for you. And she looked at me with tears in her eyes and she's like, I don't think she knows what I do. And I was like, no, actually she does. And it doesn't matter because we still love you because Jesus loves you. And we would like, it would just be like so awesome if we could pray for you. And she was like, okay. So we just stood there like in a circle on the street corner, like, holding each other's shoulders, you know, and Acacia prayed the most beautiful prayer, like, and it was amazing. And then, um, you know, the little girl was crying, like my little girl was crying and the Karen was crying and they gave each other a hug and Acacia put her arm, like her hands are on Karen's arm. And she said, you know, it doesn't matter what you've done in life. Jesus loves you so much that he wants to forgive you. And it was man, it was like one of the most mm. powerful things and uh you know, as a dad, you know, yeah. just like so stoked to see my kids like minister to people. Yeah, so anyway, that's a kind of a cool story that comes to mind.
0: That's an incredible story of uh family on mission. And yeah, I'd like to brag on your kids too cuz I've seen them pray over others and it's like you just feel the holy spirit. <laughs> like it's awesome to see them out praying for people in the community being so bold and just they love Jesus so much. Yeah, amen. Oh man, so many stories we could just keep talking for hours upon hours, which I'm sure we'll do after the podcast. Well, thank you so much, uh, Tony, for coming and just sharing some of your life with all of the viewers um, and what Jesus has done in your life. I'm sure everybody out there, including myself, uh, we say thank you for serving in the Canadian military and thank you for being obedient to Jesus and bringing hope across the world. Because that excites me more than anything, people getting to know our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Now, I know there's some people out there that maybe are going through some similar things. Uh, Maybe they're struggling with anger. Uh, Maybe they have addiction. Maybe there's um, stuff going on in their family right now. Um, Really, it could be so many different things that people are going through in our world right now. It's a hard place to live. So, Tony, would you say a prayer uh, for the listeners out there, uh, maybe that they would encounter the same love uh, of Jesus that you've encountered?
1: Yeah, amen. Yeah, I think maybe just before I pray, Brody, I would love to just share, um, I don't know, a bit of wisdom, I guess. I feel like the Lord has downloaded for me. But uh, there's a huge difference between knowing Jesus or knowing of Jesus. And like serving and loving him as Lord, you know? And so I would, you know, if I was, if anybody were to ask me, like, what advice do you have for like getting out of these like really deep, dark places that I'm stranded in or that I'm stuck? Mm -hmm. And my answer would be like, lay it all down, you know, find a place of complete surrender and Jesus will transform you Mm -hmm. uh, just like he transformed you and me. man. so, yeah, let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord God, thank you so much for this opportunity you've given us to gather and uh, to speak with the viewers and to uh, interact with one another. And uh, Lord, it's just always so amazing, you know, to be part of your kingdom and part of your family and to just know that everywhere we go in the world. Uh, We can run into brothers and sisters because they know you as well. And Lord, that we have the opportunity to share you with others as well. And so Lord, for those out there who don't know you or who know of you, but aren't following you, uh, Lord, we just pray that you would send your Holy Spirit to speak to them. Lord, that you would help them to know how much you love them, how much you adore them, how much you want them to come and experience not just life, but life abundant. Lord, we know that you cause all things to work together for the good of those who love you and who are called according to your purpose. And so we pray, Lord, that you would just draw these folks to yourself, Lord, that you would take them out of the darkness, that they might proclaim your marvelous light. Lord, in the, you know, we see in 2 Corinthians 5, uh, Lord, that everyone who is in Christ is a new creation. The old is gone and the new has come. And Lord, that you call them to be your ambassadors, Lord, that you call them to beg people on your behalf to be reconciled with Christ. And so, Lord, we say uh, for those who know you, but who are maybe struggling to serve you, uh, struggling to surrender, uh, Lord, we pray that you would just give them boldness and that you would uh, set them up, Lord, in a way that they would just have others to come alongside them and encourage them and to love them, and to spur them on, Lord, to love and good works, so that your name can be made great, and your kingdom can be expanded. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.
0: Awesome. Thank you so much, Tony, for coming on today's podcast. If you are inspired and this brought you hope, please share it with your friends and get the message out there that Jesus saves and brings hope and restores lives and families. God bless you guys, and we will talk to you soon. God bless. Thanks, guys. Bye-bye you